And welcome to another edition of the Nerdy. Was that too loud for you, Josh? It was so good. So good. You looked at me funny. It's the funny? Nerdy Agent Podcast. Yeah, I know why I, looked at, you. I, I looked at you because I thought I was supposed to do the and I was like, no, no, not right. Oh. <laughs> My brain's still bad. We're still working on coffee. All right. And welcome to the Nerdy Agent Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Pedersen, with my fellow nerds and brothers, AJ and Josh. AJ's back in town today. Let's go. But I heard it wasn't very warm in Charleston, even. Not warm, but great friends. Great friends. Warm company. Very warm company. Yes. I learned you guys listen to this. So, um, and I actually subscribed this week. Uh, my friend Brent, who is moving back here next year, which I'm very excited about, uh, I learned that he is a big crossword puzzle guy. And he gets the Wall Street Journal every single day. Wall Street Journal's great. And he does the does the crossword at night. And so we did uh, group crossword puzzles, and it was the greatest. So I actually subscribed to the Wall Street Journal for the weekend, and I will be getting my first edition this weekend. If you guys want to come over, are you getting newspaper editions? Newspaper editions, so good, so good. You need to play used- Wordle on New York Times. It's so fun. But can I play it on paper? Like it's so. They fun have a game at Target that's like specifically Wordles. It's kind it's of ironic we're releasing a podcast because we're all a bunch of old men, right? Like yeah. that are like I would love. I loved. I used to get the Wall Street Journal. I'd like walk outside in the morning, get my slippers and like my coffee, and get my paper and like read it. I was like, I'm so old. It's, it's so great. It's well, we're all old except for Luke because he's still I contributing knew, to the Chinese government with his TikTok. I, I knew you guys were. I knew you guys were older than me, but you're aging before my eyes. Oh, it's so good. Is though. what it appears like. It's great to subscribe totally to the Wall Street it. Journal is. Man, I will that's have a, a leg step. Saturday. A I'm gonna have step. a leg crossed and a big paper just sitting, sitting on my couch. Oh, oh, well, he'll have so many good new real estate topics from his Wall Street Journal oh, reading. Man. So podcast is gonna blow Phenomenal. up. Today we're going to talk about the house price index and how it compares to the owner's equivalent rent of residences, um, and kind of our opinions on that, where we think that might be going, where it's been historically. Uh, but first, the would you rather of the week. In spirit of March Madness, because I spent the majority of last of Thursday through Sunday watching basketball games. Yeah. Would you rather compete in AJ a... AJ was doing crossword puzzles while you were doing that. I was. And his, you can see it in the age. I'm, I'm wondering if there's some gray in that beard. I'm, I'm trying to tell from here, but I wouldn't be surprised based on <laughs> this, what I'm hearing today. Would you rather compete in a very competitive tournament against qualified buyers with the possibility of getting your dream home or compete against less qualified buyers for a house that you don't really like that much, but still works for you, and you'll be happy if you got it. What would the gophers be in this whole thing? I, I hope you guys are understanding that the viewers, are, the listeners actually understand what we're talking about right now, because yeah. it's like a comparison, right? Which is the NCAA tournament versus the NIT, or there's another one now, right? Like the is National there, College there, Basketball Tournament. And the gophers right? got into none of them? They only won nine games, <laughs> so they did not get in. I'm, my question would be, how many outside donors do I get in my first competition? Because if I'm getting lots of outside donors... Well, you get your dream home. I would say you're you're a middle middle seed in every run, both of them. So you're like an eight seed. I'd rather be an 11. They win more than the six seed. Sure do. But you're you're like an eight seed in the March Madness and still be tournament. Or you're like a, what, a five in the NIT because there's less teams, 32 teams. I, I will always take the more competitive one, I think. Um and I mean, I could be Florida Atlantic and beat the one seed. Yeah, go big. Or they beat the Dick- 16, Fairly actually. Dick- Fairly Dickinson <laughs> beat the one seed. That's right. I saw that. Wait, I saw a tweet the other day and it said, it said, the only time a nine seed is considered to be hated after winning their second round matchup is when they beat the 16 seed. That's a fair point. <laughs> Nobody wanted the, them to win. And by the way, the 16 seed that didn't even really qualify for the they tournament. Didn't, no. Crazy. So fun. Well, what do you guys want? So you're, you're competitive. The, I'm competitive. competitive as well. I want the, for I sure. want the big prize. We're yeah, all, we're mean, all go Enneagram threes. We got to go big. There's going to be no one at the NIT. I don't remember what I am. 
We're going to be looking at all these crappy houses. No one's going to be cheering for us. Exactly. Yeah, it's terrible. All right, let's get into the... We the, have fans while we go to house tours now? Yes. That'd be fantastic. We'd like show up to home like, yeah. Can I tell a quick story about Luke, though? Because growing up, Luke would always play basketball against himself in the pit at our house. <laughs> and it was phenomenal. And the way that we would cheer for ourselves, because we did this too. Time out, time out, time out. He would call time out for himself against the team. He was himself 0. also playing 4 against. 0.4 seconds left. And there was a little timer. And I, I know Holden's going to do this someday. Um, but when you score a basket, you go. Yeah. The best part about that whole setup was that mom and dad literally bought me a timer that we mounted to the wall. And that thing looked so horrible because I would like shoot a bucket, run over and just go boom and smack the timer and go flying off half the time. So many buzzer beaters. So no matter what, it was overtime. Every so season. many buzzer At least two or three overtimes. At least Every two or three. Time. The only fouls. Would you call fouls on yourself? No, no. It's just buckets. The only just way buckets. the top seed wins is if they hit a buzzer beater. Otherwise, it's an upset. It's probably what happened. Love yeah. that. All right. Let's get into the, to the important stuff here. Um, to start, let's talk about the house price index. Just what it is. Um, and where you know what it's looking like currently. Yeah, and we did a podcast on housing price index, so we can go back if you want to learn a lot more about it, but this will be a good comparison podcast for us to discuss. Essentially, the affordability of housing right now is we've seen rates rise, and we've seen prices continue to rise because of the lack of inventory. Uh, actually, looking at, because we've always said as agents, it's like even though rents, you know, even though prices are going up, it's usually a better idea to buy versus to rent. Um, but we've never really had the true honest conversation about like, is it the better to buy versus rent right now based on the way prices have gone? Um, so anyways, the, the housing index is essentially one that measures the price changes of single family homes, uh, residents over time adjusted for the impact of income, adjusting for the impact of interest rate changes, and essentially normalizing it down to an index saying, what is affordability like in the housing space uh, over time? So how do we compare to past uh, timeframes as far as affordability is concerned? And then what is the owner's equivalent of rent? mean it's my turn again um so that measures how much money a property owner would have to pay in rent to be equivalent to the cost of ownership so it's used to measure the value of real estate markets so essentially it can help direct individuals to buy or rent based on total monthly cost and it's saying okay if you rent it'll be roughly this much if you buy it'll be roughly that much and the reason we're comparing these two today is mostly to see you know maybe it makes more sense for some people to rent or what's that spread like between the two Historically, um, to start, before we get into what it's looking like today, what have they been historically so people have a benchmark? I mean, as far as we've gone back, they've been kind of in step with each other. Mm-hmm. Leading up to the the you know great housing crash of, of 08, they started to really start spread out. So house price index got more expensive than the over owner's equivalent of rent from the index, right? Yeah. So you can compare them side by side. So essentially... You can create a graph if you wanted to, if we wanted to show people, if some people wanted to learn more about this, we can direct them to where we find this. But essentially it shows them on two different axes and you kind of map them together to see if they continue to kind of track. And then as they move apart, you kind of are getting an understanding of affordability, home price buying versus renting. And you can use my favorite word from calculus that I like to use on this podcast, the derivative, derivative. which is the, uh, the pace of change at a current uh, time and space, right? So as like Josh is saying, indexes don't always line up necessarily because they're not nece- they're not measuring the same thing or off of the same thing yep. but you can overlay them and say oh wow one of them is going up a lot faster or down a lot faster than the other one so they're spreading out and that's what this graph is that we're looking at um and so so you saw it expand in 2006 and then it looks like here into like the 2010 through 2012 it became even again like it was before then right yep. and then since then it's basically just 
exponentially started to spread apart. Yeah, and it's a little, it's a little, I mean, like, obviously as interest rates and that impacts how you pay things down and there's a lot of other benefits. I mean, we every agent should, if you don't already, know the benefits to owning versus renting, right? So a lot of agents will say, well, if you rent, you're basically throwing your money away because that money is going to your landlord's pocket. So the equity growth is theirs. The pay down of the principal is theirs. The tax benefits associated with paying uh, interest is theirs. So you still have those realities in ownership versus renting. But as prices continue to rise and go crazy on the real estate side, and as interest rates continue to be very, very high, there does come a point where you look at the gap between these two indexes and you say, this is the furthest it's ever been apart. Like maybe there is a reality here that you know, the housing market's overheated for me and it's not the best thing for me to get involved in this at the moment. One thing that I always do caveat that with is when I talk to clients, I talk about macro versus micro. And I think we've talked about that mm-hmm. on the podcast as well. Um, this is just macro, right? So if, if you were buying the entire United States market, um, that definitely would yep. apply, right? I mean, it's currently 54.2% is the spread. Um, for reference, back in like 2007, it looks like it was 393 um, sorry, January of 20, 20, 2006. Um, and then like Luke said, it they normalized within four or five years and they were, it was back to zero. Uh, the height of it was May 2022 at 63.3% and since come back down a little bit. Yep. So to Josh's point, it's something that you should know as an agent, whether that's just a fun fact to pass on to people when they're considering buying versus renting um, or it's something that you're really applying and actually talking to people or, about. Or another one with, with investors right now, if you're just buying yep. a standard house on the market, your payment on that house is going to be tough to get below what your rent numbers may be going to right. be. From a, obviously, again, from a macro standpoint, but you have to really then make sure that the place you're getting and the payment you're going to get lines up because it's harder to get that spread right now than it's ever This been. is like the conversation I've had with Jake, yep. who just made an offer yesterday or two days ago. Um, we were running numbers on a couple of different properties and it's like, holy buckets, like your, your guy on your 30 year fix because they don't want these investment properties on conventional loans anymore. These rates got, I think he got quoted like 7.875 oh, or something so stupid. High. Mm-hmm. So and we run it through the calculator and it's like, Jake, I mean, the payment's going to be $2,500 on this place. Like you're going to make $100 a month. Like this doesn't work. You know, we got all expenses. Right. So we either have to like find a much cheaper place that you can hack and redo a much cheaper or we got to get you into a commercial loan where your rate is, you know, five-year yield plus 2.1 or whatever, where mm-hmm. it's closer to 6%. Yep. it's uh, It's been a reality for a lot of investor clients over the last two years even, right? So as rates have gone up, um, it's been harder to make the math work. We've even seen this with our rental properties, right? The rate in which prices are increasing is exceeding the rate at which our rents are increasing on the rentals that we own. Because the reality is like you, you just get kind of capped out in terms of what people can afford to pay for rental properties it's and so you know rents will go up and people will obviously talk a lot about how high rent is right now but the reality is, is if those same people are looking to buy homes the with the interest rates their monthly payments are pretty obscene right now well and the funny thing is, is if you look at this graph and we could post this maybe jeff could post it in the background when we're doing this but holding it right now <laughs> um you can see the the housing index how volatile it is right so it shot up, it shot back down, and now it's like off like a rocket ship. And if you look at the rental index, it just slowly Slow kind of ticks up, right? So you're going to see this probably start to normalize some. Whether that spread comes down over the next five years to zero is yet to be seen. But you're going to see it normalized by housing price index coming down. 
um, and the or, rental index slowly ticking up. Or going up. I mean, you can see in that last little blip where, where it went from 63% to 54 on the spread, you did see a little decrease in the house price index, but you saw it. the equivalent rent of residences jumped there a little bit too. Well, the, like it might also just, that might start to increase a lot because theoretically, if these people can't buy because of this spread and they're renting, that might increase demand on the rental side, might push those up. Well, we've talked about it before, at least in our area, there's just too many people, I think. There's not enough homes. Not enough homes. I mean, this podcast that I was just listening to on YouTube, like the household formations, which is like, you know, back in 2006, if you graduated college, went back and moved in with your parents, like that was one less household formation because you weren't moving out and renting something. Yep. Now they're all just moving out and renting and there's just so many people that this household formation number is just increasing at such a high clip. So they're either buying or they're renting. They have to live somewhere. Did right? we ever do the pod on like uh, how much space the average person is taking up now with their homes versus the we past? We definitely should do that because it's, it's, it's super It's super fascinating. It's so fun to look at like both the average square. It's like the average square footage per household and how that's changed over time. And then the average number of people living in that household. I can only imagine time. both of those numbers have increased drastically. Well, I the number of people per household has not increased, but the oh, amount of square footage has gone way, way On new yeah. construction, I think it like almost doubled between 1955 and 1995. Well, in 19 in 1950 they were building one and a half stories with 1300 square above Five, grade six people were feet. living in them and now you're at 4000 above grade square feet as and humans we just we crave just less space. simple lives yeah. just less simplicity just make us live in giant boxes yeah. we have we have 1500 square feet in our current house and we don't go in the basement <laughs> right yeah <laughs> my first house was i look around and i'm like why when will i need more space you should this? go buy a 4000 square foot home is what you should do yeah. that stresses me out actually. <laughs> i don't my, want my that. first house was 1100 square feet with a finished upstairs and an unfinished basement and we never went upstairs so we lived on about 700 square well, feet well the upstairs at that house was a little short store and a half it was nice was the was it use Oh yeah. oh yeah! Oh yeah! yeah. Was, I There's a whole guest bedroom cool. up there. We just never went up there. Thirty second in Edgewood. Yeah, let's get back. Let's get back to the to the actual podcast. We'll yeah. get into Should this we? later. Talk about renting. Yeah. <laughs> um. We're, so, and we touched on it a little bit. So, where do we see this comparison going? Let's say in the next. Let's say in the next three to five years. Where is this going to go? Like, what's the percentage? How? What like, are we thinking? We're. I mean, we're looking at a right-handed hockey stick on the graph right now for the house price index. So it went way down, and now it's just again shot up so quickly. We've talked about it before. There's just no way that it's sustainable that that continues to just go to the moon. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, if the rates come back down to two and a half percent, which we really don't see happening, they're not happening. No, um, we could see it. So I think that's probably likely to normalize. And like Luke said, it already started to normalize in the last like six months. A little bit. Um, you're going to see the rental. I mean, that's gone up a little faster. And again, maybe that's due to the number of people or whatever it is. More household formations. More people looking to just be in their own space. Or space per person, right? That all impacts all of that. You're going to see this spread start to come back down, though. I think. I wish we, I wish we could find like Minnesota specific numbers on these things. I know these indexes are so they're they're so macro because they're they're they such they have to be because they're such big numbers. Because um, the, the confusion for me is, I look at this and I go, well, rates aren't going to come down that much, right? You will see some, right? They'll get to like six. They might get to five and a half. That's going to help the house price index. However. The only other way for these two numbers to get closer is for prices to go down or, or for rent to, to go up. Well, crazy stat that I don't think I brought up on the podcast before is, and I brought up at our team meeting last time I was in town, home prices across the country, February 2022 to February 2023, went down 0.5% for the first time in since 2010, so almost 15 years. In Minnesota, same time period, 
they rose 7.5%. Yeah. So our numbers probably look a lot different than the rest of the country. Do you think our spread is bigger? No, it's probably closer because they're still rising. I don't know. It's a great question. Yeah. I think we're probably in the same boat still. From the index perspective. Yeah. yeah. I don't think it's changed much. I think the other interesting thing about it is, is you think about rentals, part of that is income driven. So as incomes rise, people can afford to pay more for rent. As inflation stabilizes, people can afford to pay more for rent. It's just from a budgetary standpoint, they can afford it. Um, mortgages are kind of the same way, but the reality is also that there's a competition component to it. So they, people are trying to get into a house. They want to live in a house. So they get, they get tapped out in terms of what they can afford to spend on it. Um, but in- incomes rising and will impact how the rental prices will continue to fluctuate in the future. So we're still at income seem to be the last thing that hits as the inflation numbers creep up. So things got way more expensive and then eventually companies are gonna make more money, which they have to pay their employees more so they can afford these things that are more expensive. So as that cycle finishes, which I think should be happening sooner and incomes go up more, more quickly, you'll probably start to see the rent prices catch up a little bit. So it's not just that the home price values need to come down. It's also that the rent prices need to go up, but they get capped out by just how much people have in their budgets to be able to spend on rent every single month. So I think that's also a component that we need to think about here is the income uh, income piece of mm-hmm. this whole puzzle. And I think incomes will have to go up as well. I agree with you. Because that's- Handle the inflation. It just has to, yeah. yeah. We were just talking about that beforehand. Just because gro- the cost of groceries goes up, goes up doesn't mean you shouldn't you shouldn't be able to buy things that you, you know, t-shirts and stuff that you're able to buy. No t-shirts anymore. <laughs> no Viore anymore. No, yes. Target, only Target now. Um, let's, let's finish up. I want to get to the script of the week just cause I know we talked about a bunch of different stuff. Um, can I add one more piece though, yeah, before we oh, get there? Yep. Um, the other thing to think about is home ownership is an emotional thing and people want to own a house, right? So there is that component, even if it's maybe not the most logical thing in them to buy right now, there's that desire to be a homeowner. And so that will create the continued competition and will drive prices up. The second reality that we have, at least in our local market to what we we're talking about earlier, is there is no inventory. So the one thing I'm a little bit weary about when I start to look at scripts, and we'll talk about that in a second, is you don't want to give off the impression that people shouldn't be buying houses right now because I've had a lot of clients who live in this, I mean, you've had this, right? You've had clients that live in this fear-based environment where for five years they've thought the sky was going to fall in the real estate market. And now they look back and go, well, I should have bought that in 2018. Oh, I should have bought that in 2020. And so there is that whole component of this is as you think about how you communicate these things, it's important to reference like rents are going up more slowly than house prices are going up. So the gap between the two is, sh- is shrinking or is it, uh, as a, as a, the gap between the two is a decision for you might be changing a little bit, but there are a lot of scenarios in which if you don't buy, we talk about the bus just driving away from you, you, you kind of still get stuck in that predicament where you just don't own a house ever. I use a train instead of a bus. Train, yeah. So See, the train keeps moving. You got to hop on at some point. Yeah. So here's the here's what I'm telling people right now. So because I there's a lot there's a lot of fear right now, and and I, AJ always jokes about this because in back in 2019, we'd win in multiple offers, and I'd always be like, oh, was that did we like do we pay too much? I don't was want people okay. to pay too much. And then I and then I'll, I'll I'll say that same thing today, and he goes, you used to tell me that in 2019, and then it went up like 50 percent since then. The Those thing people that, are all very happy, right? Yeah, 2019. Ex- extremely happy. The big thing that I'm telling people now is if you have that, which I would understand in this environment, if you had a little bit more concern about that than you did, let's say in 2019, yep. you should buy a house that you can live in for like five years at least. Because the people that buy a house that they can only live in for two years might be in a tough situation compared to the people that bought in 2019 or 2020. But if you live there for five years, it's hard for me to think that regardless of what happens, you won't be in a decently 
okay position. Unless that's the exact time that things go bad. And the, yeah. Now, and exactly. quick story about the train. I have a client bought in 2020. This is wild. Real life application. Listing their house this Friday. $900,000. We are listing their home for $1.45 million three years later. And I think we're going to get it. Uh, they haven't done anything. Have they, they've anything. done nothing. Oh, my gosh. $550,000 of appreciation just because they bought the right house at the right time. Yep. Crazy. That is crazy. So getting into the script of the week. Um, what I want this one to be is using this. So uh, the script of the week, the reason we like to use it for agents to hear it is for, for you to be able to use say something and say something different than what somebody's expecting you to say, right? So instead of just saying the normal realtor, it's hot out there, it's super competitive or whatever that is, using something more specific, using more data to be the expert. So I want, you're, you're with your friends, someone asks you, hey, I've been looking at houses online, right? And on Zillow, there's a mortgage calculator and it just looks like the mortgages, the payment on the mortgages higher than like way higher than rents. Like, I don't know how I could possibly afford that. Like, what are you seeing from a, from that perspective in the market? And give me your take on that. Um, well, so I always start with the macro versus micro conversation, right? Which is yes, from a macro perspective, we do see the largest spread in history between, uh, the price, the home price index and the owner's equivalent of rent, right? So when you're comparing renting versus buying, but for every specific scenario, uh, it can be totally different, right? You can arbitrage a situation. It depends on what market you're in. It depends on what price point you're in. And also, I think the big thing too is um, if you're considering this, you need to think about not just the current environment, right? Because you're, if, you're, if you're renting, the current environment really matters, right? Because you're just renting and leasing for a year and then you're going to do it again. If you're buying, you're fixing the price. You're fixing the rate. If the rates come down, which again, nobody can predict, but if they do, you can refinance. You're also building wealth and potentially having some appreciation within a property too. So that's a much longer term thought. And so you have to have a longer term outlook on it. And also to Josh's point, this is an extremely emotional decision. So if you want to paint your, you know, your brand new daughter's nursery pink and you want to have your crit, you know, all your stuff and hang all your stuff on the wall, it's a lot harder to make it feel homey if you're renting the place versus owning it. Yep. I, I also, Fantastic. a lot of my conversations with clients on buy versus rent are not necessarily on affordability so per se, as what are your expectations for the next five years of your life? You know, I had a client that was like, hey, I inherited money. I want to buy a condo. And I was like, okay, tell me about like what you're looking to do. And then she's never bought a house before. What are you looking to do in the next five years? She's like, well, I don't know. I don't really love Minnesota, live in Minnesota and my job's not great. So I might move down to Arizona and I might do this. And I was like, you shouldn't be buying a condo then. Like if you're going to be here for one year or two years and then move to Arizona, you're not getting that money back. You'd be smarter to rent something for that until you figure out where you want to be long term. Another client who's saying, hey, well, rates are high and I'm a little worried. My rent's pretty cheap right now. So, you know, I'll buy in three years or whatever. And I told him, I was like, well, if the if the if the price is right right now that you can find the house you want at the price you want at the uh, monthly payment you want. You know, I would just live with that reality. As long as you feel comfortable with where your situation is and you're going to stay here for a while, I would rather than buy in that scenario. Why not just be ready for the right situation to come exactly. along? I'm not, nobody's going to force you to do anything, but if the right situation arises, I'll advise you on how to maybe potentially approach that. And maybe we get it and maybe you don't, and maybe you end up renting for five years and that's totally fine. Yep. But if you are in a position and you've thought about doing it, why not just be ready to do it? And there's going to always be enough fear out there to tell you not to do something or to do something like, right. That's what all the news is always headed to. Right. So 
client asked me about Silicon Valley Bank. Hey, is that going to cause a problem with the real estate market? And should I maybe just wait another year to buy? And it's like, well, think about the reality of your life, not necessarily every little micro scenario that's happening. All because the time. Silicon Bank, Valley, Valley Bank failed and the whole market's collapsing and the world is ending. Buy Don't, Bitcoin but now. Yes. But isn't it wild? Like that's what the, the headline the, right? S, the SVPB thing happened, Credit Suisse got sold, and rates went down. down. Because people yeah. invest in treasuries, mortgage rates follow that, the MBS investors react. People don't understand how the whole economy works, and so it's very important to give them the whole outlook. I tell them to not make a decision based on what people are saying. People are saying about the entire economy because it doesn't affect your situation. Because that it's like the bank fails, and it's Friday, and over the whole weekend, everybody's like, the whole thing is collapsing, the economy is collapsing. And I wake up on Monday because I didn't even really think about it, and on Monday morning, rates went down like a half a percent, and I said, oh, cool. Yep, and he's like, also this client's also thirty one years old. And he's sitting on a lot of cash and he's been saving up to buy a house. I'm like, well, if you don't want to put it into a house, your alternative to be either like stick it under your mattress for another year or put it into the stock market. And if the housing market collapses, pretty good odds the stock market's going to collapse too in the same same situation. So usually the stock market goes first. Is yes, what I, that's what I'm what saying. So, <laughs> but I'm saying like the point is always you can always live in that fear based point, but at finding the right place is yeah. if it fits for you at the right time, then it's the right opportunity. Well, to well and it. also again on that this video I'm watching right now. And we've talked about before, eight of the last nine recessions, what have housing prices done? They went up. They went up. Mortgage rates went down. Yep. So, like, again, you just look at this even from a macro perspective and you go, just think about it. Don't just watch the news and freak out. Think about it holistically. Watch everything that's going on and just be prepared to make the right decision. Also, yep. congrats, guys. That is the longest script of the week we've ever had. Woohoo! Did you time it out? How far? How long was it? Uh, three minutes and 48 seconds. Nice. Was my friend still listening? I think that leaves 12 seconds left for the Luke to make a budget for overtime. And that's all we have for this week on the Nerdy Agent Podcast. And as always, remember, be better. Be better.